When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in, Outkick the Show, Tuesday edition. I am Clay Travis. I hope all of you had fantastic long weekends. Uh, I want to reiterate our thanks to everyone who has made American Freedoms possible and allowed us to celebrate Memorial Day in so many different fashions uh, around the country. Um, And uh, I hope you guys had as much fun with your families and friends over that long weekend as we did here at the Travis household. Got a lot to discuss. Want to start off with a moment that I never quite believed might ever arrive. And that is the New York Times has finally, at long last, after two years, acknowledged that mask mandates do not work. I've been talking about this. If you watch this show... You know that I've been talking about it for a long time on this show. If you listen to Clay and Buck, you know that I've been talking about it for a long time there. If you listen to the Outkick, the coverage radio show, before I moved over to Clay and Buck, you know I've been talking about there. And certainly if you read my Twitter feed, my social media feeds, if you pay attention at all uh, to Outkick itself, you know that I've been talking about this for a long time. This morning, I woke up and in the New York Times... I read the following about mask mandates not working. You would think communities where mask wearing has been more common would have had many fewer COVID infections, but that hasn't been the case. In U.S. cities where mask use has been more common, COVID has spread at a similar rate as in mask-resistant cities. Mask mandates in schools also seem to have done little to reduce the spread. Again, I'm reading from the New York Times right now. The New York Times, after two years. Hong Kong, despite almost universal mask wearing, recently endured one of the world's worst COVID outbreaks. Advocates of mask mandates sometimes argue they do have a big effect, even if it isn't evident in the population-wide data, because of how many other factors are at play. But this argument seems unpersuasive. Two years. Two years now, I have been arguing that masks made no sense. I started it off, obviously, from a sports perspective. Do you remember when you could play football for an entire game and tackle each other on the field, but you couldn't shake hands after the game? Do you remember when basketball players would play basketball games and then put their masks on when they sat on the bench on the sidelines? Do you remember all of that ridiculousness that was going on? Have you paid attention to the fact that Steve Kerr is still wearing a mask on the sideline with the Golden State Warriors even though he has it down around his chin? Mask mandates don't work. Masks have done virtually nothing to stop the spread of COVID at all. Do you remember last August when I went to my local school board And as one of many parents did all over the country, stood in front of the school board and argued against an implementation of a mask mandate because the scientific data on it was clear 
and readily accessible and not in any way confusing. And that data showed us that masks made no difference whatsoever and that mask mandates made no one safer. Have you paid attention to all the arguments I've made about mask mandates on airplanes and at airports and at indoor facilities and everywhere else that it makes no sense? I've been arguing that for years. Now the New York Times has suddenly come on board with that argument. What's going on here? I think this is part and parcel of what will be a rapid change in the way that this talk occurs. I think you're already seeing it with kids in schools, which is people are arguing, oh yeah, remote learning was an oxymoron. Yes, kids were overwhelmingly deprived by being held out of school, but we didn't have any other choices or we didn't know any better, right? Initially, the argument was, well, this is not going to be a major impact. And then you see the pivot where the pivot suddenly becomes, well, yes, the data is clear, but we didn't have any other options. And then what will happen in the years ahead, and I'm just telling you exactly what's going to happen is, almost everyone will say, oh yeah, we knew masks didn't work. Oh yeah, we knew that keeping kids out of school was a bad idea. Oh yeah, the social distancing stuff was ridiculous. I never believed in any of that. Remember what it's going to be like in the future. They're going to act like no one ever believed any of these things were necessary. And they probably will do it for vaccine mandates too. I want you to remember who was right about all this. Who looked at the data. Who constantly fought through even being called by our own Department of Justice domestic terrorist for having the audacity to point out that requiring five-year-olds to wear masks all day made zero sense and wasn't making anyone safer. The New York Times has now admitted it. Now, New York Times is trying to say, well, mask mandates don't work, but masks do work, which is not logically reachable. And the way that they're trying to make that argument is they're saying, well, if everybody perfectly wore masks, and if everyone wore the right masks, and if everyone wore them and nobody ever ate and nobody ever drank, and nobody was ever in close proximity to anybody else. So basically, if real life didn't exist, then they're arguing, oh, masks would work. Make no mistake, the data is clear. Masks do not have any impact at all from a statistical perspective. Now, this is significant because if you said this on Twitter, they would ban you. If you tried to share it on Facebook or Instagram, or even talked about it on your podcast, they would label that as a mistruth. It's amazing how many things that big tech has said are not true end up being true. And it's also incredible to me that the party of science, Democrats, the party of science, no one ever says to Joe Biden, hey, how come you continue to wear masks when the data overwhelmingly reflects that masks do nothing? Do you believe in science or do you not? Remember when Joe Biden arrived in South Korea and walked off the airplane wearing a mask and walked down the stairs and immediately took his mask off to shake hands? Do you see, I thank God I don't live in Canada. Did you see Justin Trudeau speaking about guns and legislation that he was introducing and every single politician behind him was wearing a stupid mask? Not even a big N95 mask, just a stupid 
cheap hospital masks that do nothing. We've got an entire huge percentage of the American public that just chooses to believe things that are 100% not true as it pertains to masks. But I do appreciate the New York Times finally joining the crowd of people like me who've been called stupid red state rednecks who don't know any better that have been looking at the data for two years now saying it makes no sense for anybody to be wearing a mask. And by the way, kids are still wearing masks in schools. Philadelphia, right now, probably some people watching and listening to me have kids going to school in Philadelphia. Kids are being required to wear masks. It's all madness. Makes zero sense. Uh, A couple of other stories that are out there um, that I wanted to make sure that I hit. Uh, Leah Thomas, speaking of madness. This is a Penn transgender swimmer. Leah Thomas, Penn transgender swimmer, decided to talk to Good Morning America and ESPN and tell the story of swimming from a transgender perspective, said that male athletes deciding to become women are not a threat to women's athletics at all. That's a lie, okay? This is, Buck did a good job talking about this on the show today. One of the reasons why OutKick is growing so rapidly is we just tell the truth. Masks don't work. That's the truth. A lot of people lied to you and told you the opposite and made your kids wear masks. Men who decide to identify as women have a huge competitive advantage because of testosterone. Men are bigger, stronger, and faster than women. Let me just give you a stat here. Let me take it outside of Leah Thomas. I think this is a a really interesting detail. The fastest woman in the history of mankind is Allison Felix. She's won more world championship sprinting medals in history than anybody. Her lifetime best in the 400 meters, a track and field race, was 49.26 seconds. In 2018, 275 high school boys ran faster than the fastest woman in the history of the world. Let me repeat that. 275 high school boys, these are 18 or under, in 2018 alone ran a faster time in the 400 meter than the fastest woman in the history of womankind. Okay? That's because men are bigger, stronger, and faster. Even really young men, even boys under the age of 18. This is a real deal. And Leah Thomas trying to argue that trans athletes aren't a threat to women's athletics is a lie. Because Leah Thomas was not a good swimmer necessarily, certainly in high-end competition as a man. No chance to ever win an NCAA championship as a man. Becomes a woman, wins the 500. Becomes the best women swimmer in the world of college athletics for that particular year. Never would have won a championship as a man. Becomes a woman and wins. And the New York Times had a front page story on this in the Sunday edition. Maybe somebody is finally slapping around the super woke New York Times and saying, hey, let's actually write some truth. These paragraphs, I couldn't believe. 
Even nomenclature is contentious. Descriptive phrases. Listen to these descriptive phrases that are unacceptable. Biological man, biological women are unacceptable. Trans rights activists say expressions like these are transphobic and insist biology and gender are largely social constructs. Biology and gender are social constructs. Whether you have a penis or a vagina is a social construct. This is what these crazy people are arguing. I'm reading from the New York Times, Sunday edition. Some trans activists try to silence critics who may derisively call TERFs, T-E-R-F, which stands for trans-exclusionary radical feminist. I think Dave Chappelle talked about this. I guess I'm a TERF? I guess I'm a trans-exclusionary radical feminist for believing that women should compete against women and that men should compete against men and that the penis and vagina are real and that the difference between men and women and biology is real? A spokesman for a gay rights group urged a reporter, quote, not to platform, that is to quote, those she said held objectionable views, including Martina Navratilova, the retired tennis legend, a champion of liberal and lesbian causes. Miss Navratilova, a lot of you will remember her from tennis, argues transgender female athletes possess insurmountable biological advantages. I'm reading from the New York Times. By the way, she's right. So I'm a turf. Okay, that's the way you want to go, Miss Navratilova said. I played against taller women. I played against stronger women. And I beat them all. But if I faced the male equivalent of Leah in tennis, that's biology, I would have had no shot and I would have been livid. This is where we are. That's Martina Navratilova. Think about this for a minute. This is where we are right now. Where if you say biology is real, where if you say there is a difference between men's and women, men and women biologically, where if you say, hey, the penis and the vagina are different and they aren't social contracts, that's biology. Where if you say men biologically are bigger, stronger, and faster than women, you are called a turf and you are not allowed to actually share your opinion. In fact, they would argue that you shouldn't even be allowed to be quoted and share your opinion in the New York Times. This is radical stuff. And people say, well, you're just exact. This is what they would say. This, you're just exaggerating. This is not that big of a deal. It's going to happen everywhere. And it's going to happen in every sport. This is where women's sports are headed. And people are going to have to make a decision. Are you on the side of women competing against women? 
Or do you believe that men should be able to become the greatest women's athlete of any sport? I believe women should compete against women. And by the way, for all the transgender activists out there, it's important to note that this only becomes an issue when men become women. Because when women become men, they are nowhere near talented enough to play at a high level and be able to compete for championships. It's only when men, with the biological advantage of being bigger, stronger, and faster, become women, that men who identify as women have the chance to become champions. It's never women who become men. That's because biology is real. I need to just start wearing and selling shirts that say, biology is real, outkick. Think about where we are. The party of science, Democrats, overwhelmingly refuses to acknowledge that men and women should not be able to compete against each other because if they did, men would be far better. So ESPN and Good Morning America do an interview with Leah Thomas that has virtually zero hard-hitting questions, virtually zero analysis. It's not a surprise that she chose that as the place that she would go talk to. All right, positive story here. I went and saw Top Gun over the weekend. Friday afternoon, I went to the IMAX. I took my 14, my 11, and my 7-year-old kids. We all loved it. All four Travis boys were there watching the movie together. My wife had a school event she had to be at. Uh, So the four of us went to go watch it. I gave it a 10 out of 10. My 14-year-old gave it a 10 out of 10. 11-year-old gave it a 10 out of 10. Only one who didn't was the 7-year-old. And that was because he had trouble, he said, telling who the pilots were because he wasn't reading their names on uh, on the helmets that they were wearing because he's just now gotten good at reading and he wasn't fast enough to recognize who the pilots were necessarily. We all loved it. Packed theater. Biggest launch on Memorial Day weekend in terms of audience in Tom Cruise's career. Never has he had a more successful movie ever. It's also the biggest movie of all time for Memorial Day weekend. Why? I told you this before the movie came out that it was going to be a huge success because it's arriving at the perfect time. There is a desperate demand in America right now. I can feel it. I felt it all throughout Memorial Day. I've been feeling it. I think it started in November. I think it's going to roll of last year. I think it's going to roll all the way through the midterms here. We have got a desperate demand in America for America is awesome programming and content. For years, 1619 Project, all this woke BS out there has been selling the idea that America is an awful, fundamentally racist, terrible place. The vast majority of Americans don't agree with that. And the Democrat Party, by and large, its entire basis for existence has become everything is racist. That's entire, that's everything when it boils down to Democrats, every one of their arguments boils down to everything is racist, everything is transphobic, everything is homophobic, everybody is awful in America, except for the woke people who are wearing three masks and have the Ukraine flag as their bios and have their pronouns in their bio. Uh, Everything else is awful. 
Top Gun Maverick was the antidote to that. Pro-America. America is awesome. There is a huge market right now. This is why I came on recently and I said, hey, you know, if I were in charge of green lighting shows, I would green light right now a, a streaming series on the Lewis and Clark expedition. Would be the number one show in America. You look at how well Yellowstone is doing. I think that's a part of this too. The, Ameri- the average American is awesome. Our military is great. There is a desperate demand for that kind of programming. And I'm not surprised. It's a great movie, entertaining movie. Took 36 years after uh, the original Top Gun. But Top Gun Maverick is great. Really fantastically well done. I think you guys, if you haven't already seen it, are going to see it uh, and love it. Hey, Clay Travis here. Hope you guys are enjoying OutKick. The show will have more coming back next. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Joe Biden's approval ratings have hit a new low. According to CivIQ, uh, and I'm looking at this right now, Joe Biden's approval rating has fallen to 35%. This poll just came out yesterday, 55% disapproval and overwhelmingly rejected by all age groups, by almost everyone. Uh, By the way, that's bad. 30% male approval for Joe Biden. 30% male approval. Only 40% female approval. Uh, For independents, 23% approval for Joe Biden. There are only three states in America where Joe Biden has a positive approval rating. The other 47 states, he's underwater. I'm not sure. He's now below the worst numbers that Donald Trump ever posted. And given the fact that historically, polls have been biased in favor of Democrats, The fact that we've ever hit 35% is flat out amazing. And I believe, look, Joe Biden's underwater in California. He's underwater in New York. I mean, Colorado, he has a 37% approval rating. Florida, 34% approval rating. Georgia, 31% approval rating. The only, even Illinois, 42% approval rating. The only state in America, I believe, where Joe Biden is in in over 50% is Hawaii. Even Joe Biden's home state of Delaware, 36% approval. Connecticut, 37% approval. I mean, these are numbers the likes of which most of us have never even seen, even in blue states. Joe Biden is under level, underwater in a level that we have never, almost ever seen before. Barely positive in Massachusetts, positive in Hawaii, and I believe positive in one other state. But these numbers are flat out incredible. 
that he could ever have reached this level of futility is uh, is re- fairly remarkable. Pennsylvania, 34%. These battleground states that are going to decide 2024, Texas, 29%. Uh, Vermont, by the way. Vermont, uh, Massachusetts, and Hawaii are the only states with approval, positive approval ratings for Joe Biden. And all three of them are barely positive. Washington State, even negative. Wisconsin, 36% approval. I mean, this is crazy that things could have ever gotten this bad. That is the latest on Joe Biden's disaster. A um, couple of other things that I want to hit. Um, Gabe Kapler. I know Gabe. Uh, he was at Fox Sports Live uh, when FS1 launched back in 2013. He was one of the experts that was on the program. He's now the head coach of the San Francisco Giants. I like Gabe. I think he's a good dude. I think he's totally wrong in his protest uh, as it pertains to the national anthem. He came out and said he's unhappy with the direction that America is going, so he will not show up any longer for the national anthem. Okay, um, Gabe, open forum. You can come on with me and talk about any uh, issues that you want, uh, but... Democrats have the White House, they have uh, House of Representatives, they have the Senate, they have almost every lever of power of a significant nature on a national level. So I understand if you're unhappy with Joe Biden uh, as the president, who is probably the worst president in the last hundred years based on all the data, got to be honest with you, I would still stand for the national anthem for Joe Biden or any other president because As you acknowledged when you decided to stand on Memorial Day, the anthem represents something more than your own individual opinions of what's going on in America. I personally think it is incredibly uh, narcissistic to say I will only stand for the national anthem if I am happy with the direction that America is going. You have the right to advocate for any political belief you want and you can advocate for it because we live in America, in virtually any way that you decide. I personally believe that when you're in uniform at work, playing pro sports, that only deciding to stand for the national anthem, whether you are uh, Colin Kaepernick or Gabe Kapler or Steve Kerr, whoever it is, when you are deciding whether or not to stand for the national anthem, only based on whether or not you're happy with what's going on in America right now is wrong. I'm not happy with a lot of what's going on in America. I think Joe Biden is a disaster on inflation, on the southern border, on international affairs with Ukraine and Afghanistan, on uh, the murder rates going on overall in this country, on being able to get baby formula on the shelves. Virtually everything that Joe Biden has touched, in my opinion, has gotten worse. I disagree with a lot of the choices that he has made. If Joe Biden comes out and they play hell to the chief and then they play the national anthem, I'm going to stand. Not because I agree with everything that Joe Biden is doing, but because I have respect for the overall nation as a whole. I can advocate against Joe Biden, but if he's speaking and they play hell to the chief uh, and, uh, and uh, they, they ask me to stand for the national anthem, I'll put my hand over my, uh, my chest and I will stand there right in front of Joe Biden. He is the president of the United States. I'm not rooting for him to be awful in what he's got going on. The idea that you would say, hey, I've decided to stand for Memorial Day shows that you are recognizing that 
the anthem represents more than just your personal opinions of the anthem. So whether you're Gabe Kapler, Colin Kaepernick, or Clay Travis, just because you're upset about something, to me, it's incredibly narcissistic to say, I'm not going to stand for the national anthem. And Kapler said the same thing that Kaepernick said, which is, whenever I get more proud of America, I'll stand again. Well, what's going to happen that would require you or enable you to stand again? I just, I, I don't get it. I think it's a bad move. I think it's a narcissistic move. Uh, and I think by deciding to stand for the Memorial Day national anthem, you are recognizing that the anthem represents more than what you think of the current status of the country. And if you're a Democrat, and I think Gabe Kapler is, more power to him, he has the right to his own political beliefs, then you're not going to stand for the national anthem while Joe Biden owns the controls the White House, the Democrats have the House and the Senate. What's going to occur in the next couple of years that's going to make you change your mind and decide to stand again? Uh, that's what I would add uh, as those issues. Warriors and the Celtics are set to play starting on Thursday. I'll give you more of a breakdown of that. I'm going to be honest with you. I've barely watched. Most of these games have not been remotely close in the NBA playoffs. A lot of you uh, are in the same boat as me. I'll pull out my phone. I'll look. Somebody's up double digits. Uh, This game was taking place game seven on Sunday between the Celtics and uh, uh, and the Heat. I was at a concert in my neighborhood. Uh, Memorial Day celebration. Lots of people out having a great time, having drinks. Uh, They were playing lots of good music. Uh, And so uh, I barely, I was in a bar, a restaurant, looked over my shoulder occasionally to check the score. At no point did the game become interesting enough for me to pay attention. We'll see whether that changes in the Warriors-Celtics series. Uh, I think the Warriors are going to win the tournament in six games. Um, Fantasy football slap. I can't believe this is real. I thought this had to be a, uh, uh, a totally ridiculous situation. Um, but my goodness, I am looking uh, right now. I watched the video and I said, this is just so crazy. Uh, Tommy Pham slapped, uh, slapped Jock Peterson in the face because he didn't like a joke that was shared on a group text exchange. This is weird, man. We need to talk, and this is big picture talk. There's a lot of young guys in America that are completely lost. White, black, Asian, Hispanic. I can't believe how many young men are totally lost. I think COVID has made it worse. I think not having a father figure in the household has also contributed to this in a large extent. But you can't take a joke on a text thread surrounding fantasy football to such an extent that you walk up and slap somebody in the face. Now, Tommy Pham got a three-game suspension over this, but bigger picture, this is a major indictment of his masculinity and his ability to function as an adult. Really embarrassing. I give credit to Jock Peterson for not uh, accelerating the situation, but if you didn't see this story... He was basically making a joke about the Padres and how they've performed, and he shared a a, a little uh, meme on a text thread, and the guy is so angry, Tommy Pham is, that like nine months later, he physically assaults another guy over a joke in a text thread? Nine months later. Again, really strange decisions. 
and unfortunate decisions dealing with American men uh, and how lost so many of them, it feels like to me, really are. Uh, finally, I had, well, a couple of other stories. Uh, Sussman, the attorney um, for Hillary Clinton, who helped to put the Russia collusion story in play by sharing uh, information that was inaccurate with the FBI, found not guilty. He was appearing in front of a D.C. Uh, court. Uh, the jury there overwhelmingly was in favor of Hillary Clinton. Uh, the truth of the matter is this is a complicated case uh, because he was accused of lying to the FBI uh, about why he was providing this information uh, in terms of whether or not he was representing the Hillary Clinton campaign. Proving a lie is a difficult standard uh, when it comes to criminal conduct. So this is somewhat of a difficult case to me. He did lie based on the evidence that I have seen. But beyond a reasonable doubt, I can see how his attorneys were able to create uh, that, um, un- uh, that, that uncertainty in the jury, particularly because the jury pool was biased towards him. But to me, the fact that he billed Hillary Clinton for the campaign, for the meeting, um, and also uh, the fact, the text message that I saw made it seem quite clear. Now, there weren't great notes from the actual meeting, which I think certainly hurt from the FBI perspective. Uh, Go figure, the FBI doing an incompetent job relating to a Hillary Clinton investigation. But they got under oath Robbie Mook, who is the campaign manager of Hillary Clinton, to testify that Hillary Clinton herself agreed with and uh, assented to the sharing of this Russia collusion hoax information with the FBI, and we spent years chasing the lie that was Russia collusion involved in the 2016 presidential campaign. Uh, Finally, I went to, uh, over the weekend, went to Top Gun, also spent a lot of time at a Little League field. I got to share a story with you. I got kicked out of a Little League game Sunday morning. Let me tell you the background. So uh, my 11-year-old plays travel baseball. So we had a travel baseball tournament. Um, And first of all, most umpires I get along with at this point pretty good in baseball. Huge percentage of them, not surprisingly, in the Nashville area, either listened to or currently listened to my show. So if you're an umpire right now uh, and you're listening, odds are I'm going to get along with you fine. Okay, so here's what happened in this scenario. Playing an early morning Sunday game, supposed to start at 9.45, play the first half inning, umpire at the home plate disappears. I've never seen this happen before. He had to go to the bathroom. So he starts for like 10 minutes, the first half inning. There's a 30-minute no game going on before this, by the way. 10 minutes in, he decides he has to go to the bathroom. It's hot. Everybody's standing out on the field. Everybody's waiting. He goes to the bathroom for 10 minutes. I've never seen that happen before, ever. Guy goes to the bathroom for 10 minutes. All right. You're going to the bathroom for 10 minutes. You're making everybody wait. Better come back and do a decent job. He gets back. Almost immediately, he stops the game because a kid has a little small gold necklace with a cross on it, and he's about to come up to bat and he makes the kid take the cross necklace off and go hand it to his mom. 
So we're all standing around waiting on this guy who's gone to the bathroom, makes a kid take a gold cross off. All right, it's only a six-inning game, by the way. Uh, So game is, I think it's 3-2. My 11-year-old is up to bat. 2-0 count. Pitcher throws a ball. There are runners on second and third, two outs, basically a one-run game. Pitch comes in. It's a ball. Catcher pops up, throws to third. Ball gets to third, no issue. The runner who's on third gets back, has no issue at all. He calls my son out for batter interference. All right? So if you've ever been to a Little League game, I've been to hundreds. I've been to a lot of college and Major League Baseball games. I've never seen this call. All right? My big theory in general, from an umpiring perspective, your goal should be to take care of the game and not make yourself a central figure in the game, right? Call balls and strikes, call people out or not out at first base, second base, third base, whatever. So the kids get back, the catcher pops up, makes the throw, there's zero issue, ball gets to third base, not remotely close play, right? Kids back on third base, umpire calls my son out. Calls my son out for batter interference. 2-0 pitch, the pitcher's about to have to make a 2-0 count, Runners on second and third. One run game. He ends the inning calling batter interference on my son, who's a right-handed batter, who is right there in the uh, in the batter's box. Uh, and the throw gets there. He's not in the way. There's no issues. Calls him out for batter interference. Ends the inning. I'm sitting behind home plate. All right? And by the way, he also, on the other team after this, calls out two other kids because on foul balls, they let the bat go and started to run to first play, first base. He called out two kids on the opposing team because he said they didn't sit their bat down. They threw it behind them too much for his liking, so he called them out. So we're talking about uh, a uh, six-inning game where he, as the umpire, calls out almost 10% of the batters for rule violations. So when he calls my son out, I say, you've got to be fucking kidding me. It's exactly what I said. I reacted immediately because of the significance here. It's a one-run game. Uh, You've got a 2-0 count the pitcher's going to have to throw. My kid's been hitting well. Good chance that he's going to get a hit or put a ball in play and potentially get two runs, which could give us the lead. So I just say, you've got to be fucking kidding me. And the umpire comes undone. He rips his, rips his head off, his, his cap off. The inning's over, right? And he's like, you can talk about this on the radio if you want, but you can't talk about this like me, uh, with me here. You're gone. So he throws me out. So I'm sitting there. By the way, I'm with my dad and my mom, right? Uh, it's a little, he's, this is a Little League baseball game. My thing is, hey, wait, you're getting paid. Kids aren't getting paid. You should do as little as possible to actually influence the game. You've called three people out for violating rules that I've never seen anybody get called out for in Little League. This is a tournament, by the way. So these are pretty good players. You know, better. It's not like it's low-level Little League. I mean, it's fairly high-level Little League, but you're getting paid. You are a professional. So you should, in my opinion, be held to a professional standard. If you're getting paid, I don't care who the other people are, you should be held to a professional standard. So another guy comes over, 
Like, I don't get in a big argument with him. And look, you can say, oh, you shouldn't have said, uh, you know, whatever. Like, I react naturally just like I would. That's an unbelievable call, right? It's an awful call. I feel the same way, by the way, about the kids getting called out because he didn't like the way they put the bats down. I don't even know what this guy's name is. He says, you can talk about it on the radio show if you want. And then he says, I don't care. Uh, evidently, I leave. And he's continuing to talk. He's like, I don't care who these boys' daddies are. Like, screw you, dude. All right? You're a loser. You're a really crappy job. So his supervisor comes over. He's like, hey, sorry about this. I just need you to walk uh, over. You can watch from the, uh, you know, from the sideline. I went down to the left field, like stood on the fence and watched the rest of the game. Uh, but my suggestion for everybody out there who's an umpire is just think about this. Like if this had happened in Major League Baseball, the umpires get tossed in a heartbeat, right? If a play does not impact the outcome of the game, then it's unnecessary for you to interject yourself into the middle of it. In other words, that umpire made himself a central part of what the outcome of the game was totally unnecessarily, right? You could have decided that given the play went perfectly fine, throw to third was made, the kids back safely, why are you calling the batter out? On a foul ball, why are you calling out? And this was on the other team. Why are you calling out a kid who doesn't put the bat down like you want him to as he thinks he's going to run to first base before he knows whether the ball is going to be fair or foul? Don't put yourself in a position where you are deciding the outcome of any game, in any sport, unnecessarily. And so I'm fired up about it. I think that all umpires, regardless of your age, should be thinking about this all the time. And if you are so power hungry that you have to call kids out for minor violations of the rule, and frankly, where there aren't even rule violations, because I guarantee you if we sent the tape in to whoever this loser's boss is, they would say, yeah, he was wrong here. It'd be like in the NFL when they make a wrong call and then you send in the tape and they come back and they're like, yeah, you know, upon reviewing it, you're definitely right. They got it wrong. So you want to talk about being a bad, doing a bad job? That's the very definition of doing a bad job. And I'm sorry, I'm going to hold you accountable for it no matter how old the kids are who are playing because you are keeping them from deciding the outcome of the game, which is the exact opposite of what an umpire should be doing. My name is Clay Travis. DBAP unless you need to SBAP. This has been Outkick the Show. I'll be on Fox Bet Live in a little over an hour for what may well be the final show of the year from a sports gambling perspective. I appreciate all of you. DBAP unless you need to SBAP.